0: Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Today I have Colleen Johnson here. We're going to talk all about Kanban and Kanban certification. So Colleen, thank you for taking time out of your morning.
1: Thanks, Dave. I'm happy to be here.
0: Um, Colleen is with Procon. Well, you're with a couple different places. But Kanban is what we're talking about today. Um, we should probably talk about some of the other stuff too. Could you introduce yourself to the folks real quick, just so they get to know a little bit about you?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I um I've been in the software industry for a little over 20 years now, which feels disgusting to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um I started out in QA and then, you know, got involved in Scrum and then Kanban. Um, and over the last uh, what five to six years became an entrepreneur inside of this space as well. So my husband and I built a software tool called ScatterSpoke, which is an online tool for retrospectives um, that allowed us to both go kind of independent and follow different paths inside of agile where, you know, kind of aligned with our skill sets and passions and Um, I do a lot of coaching and speaking um, and working with organizations a lot that are moving to Kanban and then just joined um, up as CEO of ProKanban at the end of last year. So it's been pretty awesome how um, so many different things in this space really came together to align with the stuff that I loved.
0: Cool. All right. Um, And so were you always agile or did you do waterfall before moving over?
1: I unfortunately did do waterfall. I am old enough. I teach a lot. And (laughs) now sometimes when I teach classes and I talk about the differences, everybody stares at me like, how the fuck would you do it that way?
0: (laughs) I I get people like, what's waterfall? I'm like, you should just shut your mouth and thank the heavens. You don't know the answer to that question. (laughs)
1: Well, and it's the worst, you know, when I I started in in this industry in QA, I think you bear the brunt of uh, shitty waterfall projects because it all rolls downhill. And so I always joke that, uh, you know, when I started, I worked at a company that had a, a ping pong table and probably nine months out of the year, I just played ping pong waiting for stuff to test. (laughs) And then the other three months I didn't sleep and I lived off of like coffee and Red Bull trying to get, you know, get a big project out the door because we had, we had lost all of our time to test it and ship it.
0: Okay. So I want to, before we move on, I want to ask one question. Is there anything of value you got from Waterfall? I'm always curious about this with the Agile people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it helps put some of this in perspective, right? You really see the value of, um smaller batch sizes and getting feedback more quickly uh, you know continuous feedback is probably the thing that always stands out the most to me of not having to go all the way back to the beginning um but i've also seen a lot of the same pain from waterfall projects in different agile projects too yeah. Um, one one story I share frequently is about a project I was a part of that ended up running for nine months anyway. An agile project <laughs> it took us nine. <laughs> like, I think it took us even longer than that to ship it. But when we we shipped it, we had completely missed the mark on what the customers were asking for, and you know that kills the team morale. Not only is that like a huge sunk cost for the business, but having a bunch of really smart people work on a project for you know a year or more and then being like oh sorry we screwed this up and that's not what they wanted it's it's hard to recover that <laughs> like don't um, yeah yeah so i've seen it i've seen some of the same pain in agile projects too and i think there's just a lot of learning um good learning that comes out of those experiences
0: yeah and a lot of unlearning we need to do it's it's funny how it keeps bringing you the same problem over and over again even when you <laughs> think you figured it out you're like oh that wasn't all the way it
1: Um, Oh, totally. That's been the most interesting part of, of trying to run a software company ourselves. Now it's like all the things that we coach other people to do, they're really hard to do. (laughs) You know, we get excited and we jam too much in a release or, or overcommit for a sprint. And it's like all these things that we're coaching other people to do, it's easy to tell them to do it. It's harder to put it into practice yourself. Yeah. Um, now,
0: um, before we, one last question before we move into the main topic, since your husband and you and your husband work together and you're both in the agile space, is your house covered with Kanban boards and are you raising your family in an agile way?
1: Um, some elements. Yeah, we do. We do some daily like retrospectives of what did you learn today and kind of, what do you want to focus on setting goals? Um, so we take some of those elements to our dinner table, which our kids probably hate and, um, <laughs> And then yes, on the Kanban board. So I, I have never really had a personal Kanban board because I always traveled so much. Um, but then when the pandemic hit and we were all trying to get through our, our work day and keep the kids focused on their activities, we set up Kanban boards for the kids. So they had certain, you know, they had to read for 20 minutes, play an instrument for 20 minutes, yeah. um, get outside for 20 minutes. And we put those things on a board and basically said, don't talk to me till everything's <laughs> to the done column. <laughs> Do not ask for a screen until all your cards have moved um oh, so they're, awesome. they're starting to learn some of the some of the flow principles
0: cool so i have two things to say about kids and teaching them this stuff um teaching kanban to kids is super easy because they're totally like self-organizing they help each other out just by their nature they haven't been taught not to do that yet um I just, I find that it's so much easier to teach this stuff to children than it is to adults who've been taught other ways of working. If you can get it into their heads early, it's, it's beneficial, but you also have to remember to put things on the board, like drink water and go pee because otherwise <laughs> they just don't do that.
1: Yeah. That's a really interesting observation too. When you think about how hard it can be to get, um, get adults to think of things as a, you know, think of some of this as a team sport versus like my stuff's done. Yeah. I got my tasks done. On I the passed like the sprint. Pong. You
0: failed the sprint. <laughs>
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay.
0: So as we move into this topic, could you briefly explain to the folks that are listening, and just in case they don't know, what Kanban is, how you're supposed to pronounce it, um, and how it's different than other ways of working?
1: Yeah. Well, Kanban is, is really based on flow. Um, it gets its roots in some um, Toyota production systems and lean manufacturing concepts. But what we're really looking at is how do we minimize the amount of work that we have in progress so that we're reducing the amount of multitasking so we can focus on doing one thing and getting that thing to done. And so you'll, you've probably heard the, the tagline, stop starting, start finishing. But that's that's really our goal. Like, how do we get stuff over the finish line? Because Pulling a lot of work into, you know, starting a lot doesn't do anything for our end users or our customers that we're serving. So how do we focus on getting things to done so we can get that feedback quicker? As for the pronunciation, I'm probably not the right person to ask. <laughs> um, you know, it's been really interesting in, in training and some of the travels I've been able to take, um, you know, through my career. I think it is it depends on where you are. So I got to do some Kanban coaching in in Atlanta and in the South, and they definitely say Kanban there. <laughs> um, and I've I've heard in different parts of Europe they say Kanban as well. So I think it just depends.
0: Okay, I always I was always told that it is Kanban, but I just can't get that to. I feel like I've got some kind of weird accent. Yeah. Like, hand me the Kanban. Um, <laughs> just doesn't sound. <laughs> Doesn't sound right. Um, so, what are the key differences? I mean, like, there's this is a different way of looking at work and a different way of approaching it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think that there's a lot more in common than there is different when we really break it down, especially if we're talking about Scrum versus Kanban. Okay. Um, but I think when we look at the differences here, there's, there's, um, less planning. So you're not batching a bunch of work together in a sprint. It's more of a continuous flow of work, um, which is great if you're doing, you know, if you need the ability to reprioritize things on a regular basis or you have a lot of unplanned work or unplannable work coming into the team on a regular basis, how do you pull that in, in a way that's not super disruptive? So it's kind of embracing that change in what you're working on. Um, and so that, that continuous flow model, I would say, is the thing that feels the most different, right? You're, you're not bookending things necessarily with um, a sprint start and a sprint stop or a yeah. sprint close activity, uh, which is really, you know, it's very well suited to teams like service teams. So um, ops teams, um, help desk teams. Design I've teams been doing, sometimes. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of work lately with security teams and it's, it's such a relief to them, I think, to have a system in place to say, "I know everything we touch is pretty much urgent. <laughs> like, there's no not urgent security <laughs> tickets. So we need to have a system for kind of um, creating some consistent flow through the team." Because you know, I didn't know this until I started started working with more teams in that space. But the burnout level is super high, and that's not too surprising, right? If everything if everything's you Help know drinking on. from the fire yeah. hose, yeah, yeah, the you know people get burned out quickly and leave, and Um, So I've had a lot of great success stories recently with working with security teams and helping bring Kanban and bring in a a way that they can create a more sustainable pace for them and and hopefully not get so burned out, right? There's still people doing this work, no matter what, you know, what practices you choose to use. Um, And that's, that's really the end of the day. I think that's probably the coolest thing we can have as coaches is have a team say, this helped me not want to jump off the roof.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, Now, do you, this is not a question I prepared to ask you, but I'm curious about it. Um, When I think about Kanban, when I'm working with this stuff, I feel like one of the key differences is it turns you into a student of how you do things. And it's almost like this meta level approach to like, oh, well, that's interesting. Why did that happen? Let's see if you know what happens if we change it this way, like that The process itself is teaching you how to be better at doing work. And I'm wondering if in practice, if you see that, if you see people adopt that mindset.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I think it's it's a little bit of how, but I like the way you phrase that about the experimentation side of it. So it's, you know, your works, we say this all the time with agile, right? Your work's never done. But a lot of times, when we approach a transformation or bringing bringing a framework to a team or a methodology to a team, we do it, we roll it out, and then we're like, "Have a nice life. Like, I yeah. hope this works well for you." <laughs> um, and really, with Kanban, our goal here is that you're always making like micro adjustments based on data to help you refine your process. And, and I like the way you said that is. Um, as an experiment, right? So yeah. if we see that, you know, that our cycle time is going up because we've pulled more work into the system, what is a small change that we could make to our system that we think is going to help us improve that, that number. And so you're constantly kind of turning different knobs, right. To say, you know, if we turn this up or turn this down, what's the impact going to be? And I love that as a coach, cause it makes everything very, like I get to show them right? The results of those changes instead of yeah. telling them what to do. Um, I had one team that we had really improved their cycle time. It was a, sec- it was a security team and they had tickets and multiple different systems. So of course, like one system kind of dominated the other one. So we worked really hard to get all of their work items from both different cues into one visible board where you could prioritize them against each other. And cycle time really improved and all these things were going really well. We were reducing the amount of work in progress. And they said, you know, we don't like this. We don't like this tool. We <laughs> want to go back to the other tool. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Like, what do we, what do we think what will happen to the numbers, right? They've been trending, yeah. trending in the direction we want. And they were like, we think it'll stay the same now that we're aware of how to prioritize both different types of work. And it was painful for me. A little, but I was like, okay, great, like let's let's give this a whirl. Um, <laughs> Bless everything, your heart. Tanked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything tanked, yeah, everything tanked. Um, but that's you know, that's a far more valuable teaching experience going back to what we are saying about waterfall. Yeah, you know, that's a far more valuable experience for a team to feel that difference of those two different scenarios, and then be able to say, Okay, actually, let's get all of our work in one place. Yeah, um, so that's 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 my favorite part too. About Maybe that comes from parenting. I don't know, but let them make a few mistakes along the way so that they can make the right, de- you know, the right decision on their own.
0: Well, also, I think it's less. I mean, when I was doing traditional project management, it was very much like you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. And this is more like a curiosity approach, I think. to I mean, I do stuff all the time. Like, well, that totally exploded in my face, and that that's awesome. Now I <laughs> know not to do that anymore. But it's never like a failure, it's just more knowledge. And I think that that makes everybody on the team stronger. I hope anyway. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: all right, let's talk about the certification. So you're part of this organization that decided to create a certification around Kanban. Can you talk about like where that came from, where the drive came from?
1: Yeah. So I think there's been um, other Kanban course offerings in the industry for quite some time. Um, what's truly different about what we're doing with proconban.org is that there is now an assessment. So there is a test that you can take to certify your learning, and and that really didn't exist in the space before this. Um, and what's you know what I'm really excited about in the approach that we're taking is that. We're decoupling the classes and the trainings from that assessment. So, if you have a lot of experience and you just want to self-study through the Kanban guide, which is now available as well on our site, um, you can study through the guide. You can read, you can watch different videos, and you can take that assessment without ever taking in a you know taking a class. Um, so that's a nice option if that's your preferred method. Um, or you can take a class and then take the assessment. Right. So it's it, it's kind of choose your own adventure to some extent. Okay. But the goal here is really that the, that what you know is certified in some way, like through that assessment process. And, and, you know, I think we all know in this space, there's a ton of certifications you can take where you can sit through a two day training and, um, get up on day one and go check your email for four, four of eight hours and still get that certification. And, um, that never, you know, that never felt great to me as a trainer. So it was really important to me to have that way where we're validating that people have learned something. Okay. Um, the other part though is maybe you don't care. Like maybe you don't need that certification. That's not important to you in your role. So you can do the training and never take the assessment if that's the path that you choose to go down. Okay. Um, so there's just a lot of options depending on what you want from your, you know, your learning journey here.
0: Now if, if people have, have been practicing, you know, I'm going to try to say this in the most polite way possible, their own interpretation of Kanban <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming that there's the way that the guide is written, that it's that the intention there is to sort of straighten out or at least clarify what the structure of this is supposed to be. If they were to read the guide and they had some experience, is that is that enough for the test, or do they need to go read like Dan Bacanti's books before they take the test?
1: Well, Dan might kill me for saying this, but his books are not a requirement for <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say the guide is a good start. There's other, there's other articles on our resources page that are also important things to review and different concepts. And we, we really crowdsourced this, right? You'll see, um, blog articles and different references, um, from all different members of the community. And this, this whole, that's what attracted me to getting involved with this. This is really, you know, for the community, by the community. Yeah. Um, but you can absolutely self-study and, and pass this test. Um, the guide itself is really intended to be a simplified starting point. So, like you said, there's a million different definitions of how this is supposed to look out there, depending on where you go and what yeah. you've been exposed to. You know, everything from it's just a board to, um, you know, this really complex levels of maturity type of approach. And so we really just tried to simplify this down to, what do you need to know to get started, right? Because once you get started, then you can improve it from there, right? Going back to the the experimentation model. So we simplified the guide to really just be, what are the the nuts and bolts you need to, to build from? Okay. Um, even down to kind of the, the core flow metrics. There's four flow metrics in the guide um, to focus on to start. Mm-hmm. So it's really intended to be just that, just that jumping off point in a, in a simplified way.
0: And it's similar to the Scrum Guide in terms of how it's organized.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And our intent too is, you know, this, like I said, this, the community is at the backbone of everything we're trying to do with pro Um, My hope is that as more and more people join this community and right now that's mostly in Slack and you can find the Slack link on our site as well. But um, my hope is that it grows and changes just like the scrum guide from scrum.org. But yeah. as we learn and as we apply this and get more experiences in different industries and with different teams that we keep coming back to this and saying, you know what, like we want to tweak this one small thing in the guide because we've learned, you know, we've learned from applying it. Cool.
0: So you mentioned you're doing a lot of work in security. Is there a particular area where you see this picking up a lot? Like a lot of people feel like Scrum is, even though it's not this way anymore, they still feel like it's mainly suited for software. Is there a particular area where Kanban is more valuable or more adopted?
1: Yeah. You know, I mentioned like when, when your work is very interrupt driven or everything's a high priority, I think that it fits well there. Um, you know, in coaching, I tend to let the teams pick, you know, I like to, to bring both options to them and say, you know, you guys need to make a decision around what feels like it's best suited to the type of work that you're doing. And, and really like, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, Security is a big one, though. You know, like I said, if everything's a P1, then how yeah. do you manage that so that you don't burn your team out? I've also seen, um, you mentioned like UX teams or design teams. Kanban works great for teams where they're serving, you know, instead of saying we're going to have one designer work with five different Scrum teams, which spreads them out and makes it really hard what to see how to balance the work that they have coming to them. Um, using that as more of a Kanban service team to say, we're going to prioritize all this work together in a queue where a designer can pick up anything from, from that queue of work. Um, so teams like that. Um, and then marketing is actually a surprising one where I've had a lot of success using this with marketing teams because they need to be pretty responsive to other things happening in the organization and. As much as they try to plan, right, things change. Right, we miss dates <laughs> sometimes, or we have different things that take place um, in the world that we don't have control over. And marketing wants to be able to adapt to that quickly. So I think that that's another team that uh, has struggles with with Scrum sometimes to plan plan yeah. a lot ahead, and um, has found a lot of success with Kanban. So
0: I'm wondering with marketing, if this would also be a good fit for like digital agencies, because I know scrum is a really challenging thing to fit into many of them because it is so interrupt, maybe not interrupt, but they're always waiting for the client to get back to them.
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of cases where it feels like you can't do your work because work goes out, like you said, for some kind of approval or to a third party vendor, or you're constantly blocked by these other teams. Um, and when we start talking about the mechanics of how to manage that through your Kanban your Kanban workflow, um, I think it can be a little bit like, oh, well, we don't want any of that work on our board because it's dependent on someone yeah. else. But the reality is all of your work is dependent on someone else. So how do you visualize where that's getting stuck so you can quantify the impact that's having on your ability to deliver? Um, and we, I think just to, our human nature is we always want to move that stuff out of the way so we can keep working and stay busy. Um, but the more we can visualize that and quantify what what that's doing to your ability to deliver it, the, the easier it is to address the problem, right? Yeah. Or, or even it. to
0: show it to the client and show them how they're the, the they're the thing. Right. It's got <laughs> right. everything stuck in the mud. Um yep. so somebody who gets a certification, like what what level of expertise or mastery do they have? Like what are they prepared to do when they go back into the workforce or if they're looking for a job? How would this help them?
1: I think the biggest thing, and I, you know, I would honestly recommend the, so we have the initial course that we have is applying professional Kanban. um, And I think that's a great place for honestly, scrum masters, team members, anybody that's interested in how to bring Kanban practices to their team. Um, it's it's our basic level class, like our starter our starter class. Um, okay. I will say the exam is hard. Feedback we've had from nearly everyone that's taken it, um, and it's you know subtle things around um, what's required versus what's optional, right? And thinking through those things and really at the end of the course and at the end of the assessment that's the biggest takeaways I think you'll get right You'll understand the practices, the basic flow metrics, um, how to kick off your system and do your you know launch your initial Kanban system and design your workflow um, and ultimately where to you know how to start. Okay. Um, we are introducing other classes. So we're about to launch applied um, metrics for predictability. So I'm super excited about this course because there's nothing like it that I've been able to find out there that help you really um, look at your metrics and interpret them and use them for forecasting. So that is going to be, I think, um, such an awesome offering if you want to do a deep dive and how to leverage your data to get more, more accurate dates. Um, and then we're working on some other awesome classes that are kind of complementary practices, like how do you do good story slicing? Which I mean, everyone can everyone has a hard time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's one of yeah. my classes. I was like, no matter how good you are, your team's gonna suck at this. Like this, is yeah. <laughs> it's not easy.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when we think about continuous flow, there's such an important relationship between how you're breaking your work down and how it moves through a system. Yeah. Where if you have, if you break it down so small that there's a bunch of art, of, you know, you're you're introducing dependencies on other items on your board, you you're creating blockers for yourself. So how do we focus on getting things as small as possible, but still valuable so that they're moving through that system independently without creating kind of a, a log jam of of work.
0: Yeah. So I want to check in with you on something and I might be, sh- be doing myself a disservice by asking this question. I love scrum, but, um, two things that I, when I think about common, there's two things that I think about. One is that, um, I've seen a lot of teams that can't organizations, they don't have the structure, they're the discipline to be able to reshape themselves into what they need to be able to turn into, to do scrum. Kanban is an easier fit because you just start where you are, you map it out, you learn and you go from there. And I also see teams that are doing Scrum that have kind of solved the top, or largely solved the problem of team predictability moving to Kanban because they're more advanced questions they wanna ask now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for the first one, it, it almost becomes that initial step becomes a little less about um, teams and more about organizing around the work. Okay, right? and that does feel a little different, I guess, with each approach. But um, you know, if if I'm part of a team, but I'm doing work, and, and you know, you think of all the roles that we tend to matrix. And we talked about design. I see that with DevOps sometimes. I've even seen it with QA folks, right, where I'm working on um, I'm working across multiple teams well if we're if I'm trying to manage my work in progress so I understand priorities and I'm focusing on one thing at a time and getting that thing to done but I have work on three different scrum teams right that is Im- immediately broken like yeah. I have three number one priorities now and we don't know which one's higher. Um, and I'm probably spreading out my attention and my focus across those three things. So I think the first thing is probably just shifting away from thinking about things in terms of like your home team and more about how do you organize around the work, okay. making that work visible. Um, I already forgot your second the, question. The, on the more
0: advanced side, because they get to team predictability and then you have more advanced questions. I mean, it, it seems like if you can get to the place where you're making meeting commitments in a sprint, then it's how do we become more efficient? And when we get into efficiency, that's the place where Kanban seems to me to be a, a much better fit.
1: Yeah. And I, I've seen that. So I have seen where teams kind of stall out. Eventually they get faster than almost the scrum cadence allows them to deliver in, yeah. um, it, particularly with the concept of release trains. And so I worked with one organization, you know, where they started with a 12 week train and then that was too slow. To be honest, they got down to eight weeks and then down to six weeks. And then they actually switched all the teams to Kanban so that they could focus more on that continuous delivery cycle. Um, and so it, in that, in that sense, it did feel a little bit like an evolution there of um, starting to move quicker and be able to deliver faster than the framework, like the, you know, the release cycle they had was allowing them to do. And, and I think that that's a great, a great place to be.
0: Cool. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, if there's folks that are listening that are still getting up to speed on this and they have experience with it. And they're interested in learning about becoming trainers or partners. um, What is the best path for that?
1: There's a couple different paths to get involved in Pro Kanban. I'm, I mean, the very first place I would invite everyone listening to start is with our Slack channel. So our Slack channel is where we have people asking, you know, simple questions around board, board design and workflow um, and really complex questions around Monte Carlo simulations and forecasting. And it's just a great community there of, of practitioners who just want to learn from each other. So that's a great place to start. Um, if you're interested in becoming a trainer, There is a path for trainers on the website where you can get involved. The first step is passing the assessment with a 95% or higher, which is challenging. Um, But there's a lot of us out here who will help you on that journey if that's what you want to be a part of. Um, In terms of partners, we do have a training partner program that we just launched where organizations who want to be able to offer Kanban classes, whether that's through um, in-house PKTs or professional Kanban trainers or contracting back to other trainers in our network, um, that process is, is available too. Um, and then we're also working on a scholarship program with women in agile and lean in agile um, for women who are interested in becoming trainers and really it's a lot this program is a lot more than just let us help you become a trainer um, we're focusing on things like how do you start your LLC and how do you write a statement of work and how do you you know how do you negotiate prices for private classes and So um, I'm super excited about that effort because it feels like we're really helping people who maybe wanted to take this step into taking a more independent path as a trainer, as a coach, and helping them get kind of the fundamental things in place to make that happen.
0: And they can kind of grow into it, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. It reduces the risk for a lot of people to be able to start here, offer a few training classes, and then figure out, you know, what's the, where is that tipping point where you can really go independent?
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, are there any events coming up or anything that like that that people should be aware of? Other than they can go to the website, I'm, I'm assuming, to learn about the public classes.
1: Yeah, definitely. So right now, most of the classes, I would say all, I think, are still live virtual classes. So okay. we have not moved to anything in person just yet, although I've been hearing rumblings. They're coming. I'm really excited about that. Never thought I'd be excited to go back to the airport, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have a pro Kanban meetup that's hosted by, um, Jose Casal. And that is, um, we've been running a program through that called, uh, meet a pro Kanban trainer or ask a pro Kanban trainer. Uh, it's a super fun conversation with all the different trainers and they take like wildly different paths depending on the trainer and the questions that come in, but it's very, again, very community driven. So you can. Pop into any of those meetups. There's one every month, um, and ask questions about the organization, the practices, the you know path to be a trainer. Anything you wanna, anything you wanna surprise them with. Cool.
0: All right. It is great that you're so welcoming with the community. So that was one of the first things I noticed on the site. Um, So I'd encourage anybody who's interested to go to proconbond.org. Right. Correct. Right, and learn more about this. And I'm going to ask you to share your contact information in a minute, but. Before we do that, I wanted to ask if you could say a few words about the impact that volunteering and being involved in the community has had on your professional growth and your kind of career development. Because I know you're somebody who's deep, been deeply involved in this stuff for a long time.
1: Oh well, yeah, I mean it's it is everything to my. It's been everything to my career growth. I started. Um, I'm in Denver, Colorado. So I started volunteering with Agile Denver back in the day. We had a like pre Agile Denver, we had a a thing that I had kicked off called Scrum for Breakfast um, where we would just meet at a a diner in the city, a couple, you know, I think we did like every other week or once a month or something and talked, you know, it was just more like um, group therapy, I think, than anything else. (laughs) Um, But then I got really involved with Agile Denver and helped organize the Agile coaching meetup um, and then became a board member for Agile Denver. Um, I've been a co-chair for the Mile High Agile Conference. And then I was on the board of directors for agile uprising. And, you know, I think the biggest thing with all of those, all of those organizations and things that you're a part of is, um, there's a lot of ups and downs, right? It's not all roses. <laughs> and so especially organizing meetups, right. You can have, you know, you can organize something, have a great speaker and be so excited. And then like two people show up, and yeah. you're like, I quit, you know, like it's hard to stay motivated. Um, and then there's other times where, You know, you have 50 people come to something and a lot of energy comes out of those moments. And sometimes you have to power through the dips and and the valleys and some of those things and acknowledge that some of that's just not not in your control. Um, And I think, you you know, the connections, um, you know, and I would say I recently did a a blog post on this about professionalism and pro-Kanban. To me, all of that comes back to the connections we make with other people. Uh, And that, you know, that's where the value and the, 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 like kind of the, the heart of volunteering and getting involved in those community things really shines for me. So making those connections um, and getting to meet new people in different places and looking at all of those opportunities as a, not just a, you know, not just networking, it's like learning from each other, Yeah, learning to understand what, you know, where somebody else is coming from and what um, you know, where they're positioning their coaching journey and and how you can work together to to both grow um, is really like the, you know, it's the people side. Like yeah. I said earlier, it's the people side of all of that volunteering is just the best part. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to make time and space. I think for some of those things, I've got three kids, so, um, they rule the roost for sure. But, um, when I get to take the time to really connect with other people and volunteer through different programs like that, it brings me so much energy as to, you know, why are we here? Why is that the thing that you're going to spend time away from your family doing, or maybe get from other things that you would enjoy doing. Um, and it's, it's the people. Yeah.
0: And the I I love the fact that when I run across an idea that I don't understand, that there are people I can reach out to who will be who will be willing to take the phone call that know the stuff deeper than I do that can help me learn. And it's just from a resource standpoint, resource of I've got different ways of learning about things. um, It helps me help other people.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that curiosity is so important. The minute we're the minute we are consider ourselves an expert we're kind of shutting ourselves off to learning right and and I think that there's you know there's keeping that curiosity open and looking at all of those um, people that you meet and that you connect with as people you can learn from Um, even if you're the you know if you're the one on the stage or you're the one teaching class there's still so much you can learn from the people you interact with every day
0: yeah I feel like when you're the one on the stage you're the student of everybody in front of you and they have a lot to teach you just like the board has a lot to teach you yeah. your work uh yep. well this is great thank you very much for doing this so if people want to reach out to you with, with more questions what's the best way for them to find you
1: yeah you can find me on twitter at scrumhive or you can shoot me an email at colleen at proconban.org and um, i'm super active in the slack slack channels either in uh, women in agile or in the proconban.org slack
0: cool all right well thank you very much for the work that you're doing and thank you for doing the interview
1: yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Dave. If you learn to work